0: Hello everyone, and welcome to C-View Quantum Network. I'm your presenter, Daniel, and I'm here with producer Claudia Pareco. Our opening song features Reach for the Stars from Cyclone's new album, Showtime, available on all music stores and platforms. A moment of your time is one of the most extraordinary gifts we could ever be given. We are honored every time we've received a moment of your time. We are servants of the new age, the time of prophecy, the time of the ascending sixth sun. We are a platform for alchemists and multidimensional souls. We connect with many planes of reality and assist the awakening journey. We are pure light, transmitters of high vibrational light out into reality. Our shows are held on Fridays at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time. At any moment to participate on our shows, please call 805-830- 8344 and press 1 to talk with the host. Call for free at 805-830-8344 and wait in line or you can use Take My Call and for $11 you can jump the long list of callers. Do so at www.paypal.me slash p-u-r-e-c-o slash 11. And then please PM or email Claudia Pereco at cview1111 at gmail.com and include the phone number you'll be using to call the show. All of our podcasts are easily found in all social media and are available free, live or on demand. To request a show, please write to Claudia Pereco at cview1111 at gmail.com or visit our website, cview1111.net. Now, let's listen to our host and topic of the day.
1: Welcome everybody to the to the Messages from Metatron study group with author Debbie Nina Bingham. We meet every third Friday at 12 noon here on CBU. And I hope you will join us each month and tell your friends. Now let's introduce the author of Messages from Metatron, Debbie Nina Bingham, but we call her Nina. She's an author, a life coach, a clinical hypnotherapist, and a sound therapist. Welcome to the show, Nina.
2: We are so, so happy to have you here. Thank you, Claudia. It's nice to be here. Um, Because we have new listeners today, I want to explain what this study group is all about. Um, messages from Metatron is not only a book, but it's a curriculum of channeled messages, which are spiritual but non-denominational. So included in the book is a study guide for groups, and the study guide is what we're working from in this podcast today. And today is our fifth lesson.
1: And thank you for that introduction. And today we are studying lesson six entitled Christ and the Avatars, and Lesson nine, The Buddha and Enlightenment. And we will be taking caller's questions. Even if you haven't read the book, you can still participate in our study group. but it will be easier for you if you have the book. The ebook sells for $15 on Amazon, but for a limited time, Nina is offering the ebook for free to see listeners. To request your free copy, go to CV CBU website, cvu1111.net, and then go to Debbie Nina's show page, and you'll find the form there where you can request your free ebook.
2: Yes, I'd love to give everybody a free ebook. So I hope you guys will go and find that. Um request page. So let's begin our study now of these topics for today's discussion. Um, I just want to start out by, we welcomed everybody to the podcast, um, and we're endeavoring to understand these messages given by an archangel named Metatron, um, who is Metatron. Let's talk about that for a minute. Um, The Jewish mystical writings called the Kabbalah describe this archangel. Um, as does what's called the Book of Enoch, which is a Gnostic Christian text that goes way back. And channeling, that word channeling sounds new agey, but communicating with the other side is timeless. And it was a highly respected ability among Egypt's ancient priests and ancient Greece had their oracles. So there's a long history uh, in regards to channeling. The Chinese, um, the Tibetans, Japanese, uh, Indian people, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and the Celts all channeled. Um, even Judaism, Islam, and Christianity had channeling prophets. So we shouldn't be so surprised when an otherworldly being like an angel, communicates with humanity. I mean, after all, the word angel translates as messenger, messenger. So when they bring a message, they're only doing their jobs. So for today's study, we're going to be learning about Christ and the avatars and talking about what an avatar is. We'll define that from Chapter 6 of the book, Messages from Metatron. And from Chapter 9, Enlightenment and the Buddha. And so I'd like to mention that it'll be easier to study with us if you have a copy of the book. So I hope you reach out and get your free copy. Um, Okay, so we're going to dive right in here with Message uh, Christ and the Avatars. Metatron begins this chapter by telling us that while our understanding of the story of creation uh, seems you know, really solid to us. You know, the Bible says that it was Adam and Eve in the beginning. So, but that, in fact, uh, that, in fact, our, that knowledge of our own species and of God, uh, Metatron says it keeps developing over time. So he's pointing that out. And he says, just like our technological knowledge continues to grow, um, religions have all mutated over time as science has made new discoveries. Okay? So we tend to think about our religion and our beliefs, which are dearly held, as very solid facts, don't we? <clears throat> but what he's saying is that in fact if you look over, you know, many millennia of our history, you're going to see that our beliefs in God have changed a lot. Um and, and of the world. For example, case in point, it used to be believed that schizophrenics who heard voices were demon-possessed, and, and this was because neurology, which is the study of the brain and its diseases, hadn't been established yet. But as science developed and found that there are organic neurological chemical imbalances causing delusions, um then we could stop exercising demons, right, and start developing medicines to treat mental illness. So Metatron points out that much like medical problems are solved over time, so are problems of understanding who God is and what he calls our spiritual evolution. So Claudia, I want to bring you in here and wonder if you have any thoughts on this, how science has informed our understanding of the world and of God. Thank
1: you, Nina. Yeah, you know, I, I've been reading your book. I'm so glad that you gifted me with that e-book. And I really tell people to go get it. And even if you just go to Amazon and buy it, it's only $15. It's not that expensive. But I love it. I love to uh, read about it and to, you know, to question. I I love questioning everything that Metatron has in there and opening my mind to that. And one of the things that in my personal story that I have seen firsthand is I was brought up in the Catholic um, Church teachings, if you may. I was never, ever, ever a good, 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 good Catholic. Just believe me, do not put me there. I'm not a, um, no one that knows everything about that. I was just born into a family that was Catholic. But I come from Mexico, and one of the things that when I came to the U.S. that I realized is how different is the concept of Virgin Mary Within Catholics of the U.S. and us, for us, the importance that Mary, that the, the Virgin Mary has, is extra. is, is, is extra important for us. It's, it really is dear to our hearts, and how her is important, and how the, the role she plays in our religion, in our beliefs. And then you come here, and she doesn't have that predominance for most um, people in the U.S., and it's the same religion. so it's like, oh, I love when he says that it's – Metaphron says that creation and and beliefs has to be – it suits different ethnologies. And that is so true because if you see the story of my country – We came from another religion setback that had to be incorporated to the new religion that was imposed to us. And I love also when Metatron says in in this um, chapter that you should never impose your beliefs into someone else's, but you should always see your truth as yours and you can just share it, but not expect others to have your beliefs system or to imposing to those, because that doesn't mean their thoughts are not true, or that yours are the truest
2: of all. You see what I mean? I do, and I think that's a really good point, um, Claudia, because not only does science inform our understanding of the world and of uh, the divine, but our culture defines our beliefs as well, and I think that's what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, then he goes on to challenge current Christian doctrine by saying that the Holy Spirit – You know, you were talking about how Mary is perceived in Mexico versus the United States. But he's talking about now the Holy Spirit, and he says, you know, the Holy Spirit is known as the third person of the Trinity. um, But he's saying something a little bit different. He puts a little different twist on it, and he says, actually, the Holy Spirit is a description of the soul. And he explains that. um, He says this mysterious Holy Spirit is, quote, the spirit of wholeness whole spirit, Holy Spirit, the spirit of wholeness, which, and then he says, well, who is this spirit of wholeness? It's all the children of God. And then he states that the Trinity is Father, Mother God, and the children of God. He says that's the true Trinity, and that's the divine family. And so the Catholic Church has interpreted the Holy Spirit to be a personality or a spirit, but Metatron says that wasn't a correct interpretation. And Metatron is saying that what we've accepted as fact, because we've been told by the church, um, that this will change with the help of science and time. So, for example, it used to be accepted as fact that, that the world was flat, Okay, but discoveries and technology such as the telescope and the microscope have caused our worldview to change. And our concept of God has continued to evolve due to science. So I'd like to ask you, Claudia, a study question here. Um, When Metatron says each of you are the Holy Spirit, in practical terms, what does that mean to you? How can you and I be a part of this spirit of wholeness? Yeah. So, so
1: when I think about that, is it's, it's mind blowing. It's like, okay, so we are the Holy Spirit, and and remember when uh, when in Jesus. Um, time, he said that the Holy Spirit would be brought unto all of us. So I interpret that that it's this consciousness of who we are that we would eventually be able to think as ourselves as holy, or divine, uh, and as part of that um, God reflection of. of uh, but even even though my mind can say those words you know I can express those words and I can see where it goes I still don't think I have the ability to really understand it all because I it's in a way it sounds so pretty it sounds too good to be true and then it makes you question if I'm that Holy Spirit that wholeness of God, why is it that in some instances you feel so limited? Like, why is it that, okay, yeah, I'm I'm that, but on the other hand, and this human that is in these human terms determined by human um,
2: events that happens to you? Yes. You know, when he said that, I thought of how when we're all getting along as God's children, that it's very healing. And (laughs) it does bring wholeness and a spirit of unity. And then I thought about the word unity, and I thought, you know, unity is wholeness, isn't it? So, So what I want to say here, though, to you and your question, because you're saying, well, then why don't I feel like it? Why don't I feel part of this wholeness? And I think to be whole is not to feel whole, okay? Because I can be something and yet feel something different about it, right? I could be the most beautiful person on earth, and if I'm having a bad hair day, I'm (laughs) not going to feel that way, okay? So to be whole is not necessarily to feel whole. doesn't mean we're not doesn't mean we're not part of it. So Metatron then switches gears and he he goes on to make these claims about Christ. So let's look at what he said about Christ. Number one, he said Christ claimed to be one with Father God, um, but he explains that Christ was actually a projection of God the Father. He was God. That's what he said. So although the Bible doesn't describe Christ as being a projection, because 3D holograms, that technology again, wasn't developed until the 20th century. Um, so the Bible is not going to talk about those kind of issues, right? Holographic technology. But the Bible does quote Christ as saying, quote, the Father and I are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because he's the one who sent me. So Christ told us that they were one and the same. So that does line up with what I believe with what Christ said. Number two, he said Christ came to experience human existence and Christ healed to demonstrate his divinity. Now that, of course, agrees with the church doctrine. And then three, He ends the message, this message, by saying that all religions lead to the same God. And this agrees with what Hindus believe, that all paths lead to the same God. Um, The Indian saint Sri Ramakrishna said that. So I'm wondering, you know, what you're thinking about saying that all religions lead to the same God
1: so you know when i when i read that and then it it has another explanation where it says when you go to heaven god will project to you that which you believe so it's like it's a, a one of the things that i would think would give me proof that jesus exists is if i die i see jesus But if I believe in Jesus, I will definitely see Jesus because God would project Jesus to me as a proof. So it's a self-serving prophecy that whoever I believe, I would see in the afterlife, that's the one that I would see because God is all of that. So, So it's funny. It's funny because it's so simplistic. And at the same time, it serves to everybody because then we don't need to fight and see if Jesus is better, if it's Buddha, if it's, um, I don't know, God or Jova
2: or whoever you believe. That's who he is for you. Yes. You know, there's um, some interesting research on that, Claudia, Um so near-death experiencers, I've done quite a lot of research on this topic, on near-death experiences. Near-death experiencers, after death of the brain, what they see is is very correlated to um, the particular religion that they believe in or were raised in. So Christians tend to see Christ. Um, or a being that they you know a being of light immense light and love that they call God um, however there are people who were agnostics or um, uh, ag- yeah agnostics uh, who or who don't people who don't believe in any any higher power and what they saw was perhaps um, something different they didn't necessarily see Christ um, but they might have seen God, or in some cases, they see spirit guides, or in some cases, they see angels. So it, it does seem that whatever religion that you were raised in or is most familiar to you is what the person tends to see in the afterlife. So to me, that would line up with what you were saying, Claudia, about We don't need to worry um, that our path is the best path and that, you know, everybody should be on my path or they're not going to get to heaven. Because what I'm seeing in the near-death research is that people are encountering in the afterlife um, the person, I guess, or the peoples that, that they expect to see that they expect to see. It's kind of like a a foreign language. You know, it's like um, uh, if you're speaking English and you go to the other side, obviously in order to communicate with you, they're going to speak English, right? But if you're French or you're German or you're Italian and you speak a different language, (laughs) heaven doesn't speak English (laughs) only. So they're gonna speak to you in whatever language that that you prefer so that they can communicate well with you, right? And and I believe it's the same, too, uh, about what we're going to see in the afterlife. So that's a very good point. So now we're going to skip forward a little bit to message nine, which is about the Buddhist teachings and enlightenment. And according to Google, there are between 330 million to 500 million practicing Buddhists worldwide. Countries with the highest number of Buddhists include China, Thailand, and Japan, so the Asian countries, uh, but with some other countries too. But here in the U.S., estimates are um, 3.9 million Buddhists in North America alone, 3.9 million in North America, with Hawaii and California leading the pack. So you might be interested to know that the ranking Of world religions are as follows. Because I thought, you know, it's interesting to find out, you know, which religion is number one, you know, which one is number two. I wanted to kind of find that out, so I'll share that with you. Number one world ranking is, of course, Christianity at 33% of the world are Christians, 33%. Number two is Islam at 24.1%. So really, um, very close uh, to the numbers for Christianity. Number three is atheist or agnostic, so non-religious people. Uh, and let me differentiate what an atheist or an agnostic is. An agnostic is someone who acknowledges a higher power, but they don't necessarily feel that they have a personal relationship with that higher power. Okay, That's an agnostic. They say, yes, there's a creator and an you know, stops there. Um, an atheist is someone who does not believe in the other side. It does, does not believe in um, eternal life uh, or salvation or the soul or anything like that. So number three, at 16% of the world are atheists or agnostics. Number four, 15% of the world are Hindus. Number five, 7% are Buddhists. And number 6.20% practice Judaism. So that's a much, much smaller number. So out of 7.3 billion humans on the earth, 7.3 billion, obviously the Buddha's message is important and it's popular. So Menetron poses a question. He says, why would anyone want to be enlightened? Because enlightenment is the goal of at least two of these religions okay, is Buddhists are striving for self-realization or enlightenment, and Hindus are also striving for self-realization. So so Metatron says, why would anyone want to be enlightened? And then he says the most obvious answer is that, he says, you don't want to keep reincarnating. That's why. (laughs) He says, simply stated, quote, life is hard and heaven is not. So even if you don't achieve enlightenment in this life, if you practice Buddhism, you'll become a better person. And that's what spirituality is all about, isn't it? So let's define that elusive term enlightenment. Um, and I'm going to let Metatron define it for us. He says, quote, enlightenment, the kind that Lord Buddha had, is the suppression of the ego self, suppression of the ego self. So if Buddhism seeks to slay the ego, we need to understand what the ego is and what purpose it serves. Because we've all known people with inflated egos. People with inflated egos have an inflated sense of one's own importance. And he says, quote, people with inflated egos are impressed with themselves and can be self-serving, self-centered. In short, it's all about them. So these people have abnormally high self-regard, but they lack one very important quality, which is compassion. So when I see a person with low compassion, I know that this person has not seen that spark of divinity in all of creation yet. Now when people or animals, things that have feelings and souls are disposable, I know that person struggles with their ego. But when life is sacred to them, then that person has compassion, meaning that they have managed to suppress or defeat the ego. So I'll stop here and ask for some feedback why is it important to have compassion for other people why is it so important to mature spiritually so that we're not all about ourselves and I would
1: say that um, in my path is when you have a compassionate heart and it it takes a lot of a lot of self-realization to get to that point. And it's in that point in your life when when you are less self-centered and you finally understand that whatever truth you have is your own, that you don't have to save anybody, that you don't have to prove you're right. And But when you when you see in others things that shows you that they are still on the path, you can actually have the compassion of understanding because you were there as well, or you are there as well. So you can, in your heart, find that um, feeling of empathy of, you know, they are precious beings doing whatever it is that they can do with what they have in that moment in life. Like, in my opinion, we all, if we could be enlightened and the greatest people on earth at all moments in your life, we would. Like I'm sure that if you could be all love, all compassion, all joy, all the time, That's what we would like to be, and we would, but sometimes we can't for whatever reason. And in that moment, feeling that compassion for yourself, for others, that, okay, it is fine the way it is, and it is loving, and it's a loving state of just allowing yourself or others to move from one step to the other, I think.
2: Yes, um, I was thinking as you were talking about the word empathy, Claudia, how, um, <clears throat> you know, if empathy is, because it seems to be what you're describing, if empathy is different from compassion, um, I think empathy is a little different from compassion. Uh, They're very similar, but I think the dividing line between the two is empathy for somebody happens when you yourself have experienced um, the same, you know, when you've experienced that same pain, when you've experienced that same loss, you can have empathy for other people. Um, It's a little easier, isn't it, to have concern and show concern for other people when you've gone through something similar, okay? Okay. Compassion is almost a step beyond empathy because sometimes with compassion, we have not stood in that person's shoes, right? But we're called upon to show compassion. For example, uh, Claudia and I were talking about how global warming is affecting um, the world. And we were talking about how Africa, um, you know, we're experiencing uh, some kickbacks from global warming, you know, the – uh, the rising seas and the temperatures going up and and how that inconveniences us um, uh, but interestingly enough, Africa uh, is now in a drought because they're not getting the rain that they're used to, which has caused a famine and so now people are starving in Africa because of global warming um, and so um, because i've never i've never had to starve in fact i'm i'm in I'm involved with weight watchers. So I surely haven't haven't had to starve. I'm a very very blessed American, okay. And I don't, I can't really relate to how it would feel. I mean, I've been hungry, right? But I've never starved. And and I think I can't relate to that. But I can still have compassion on the children that are starving in Africa and do something about it, okay? Even if it's a small something. So um, compassion to me is just a, a step beyond empathy uh, because we may not understand it well, but we can still reach out and we can still feel their pain as much as we can feel it. So I wonder, um, Claudia, if you and I could name a few characteristics of a compassionate person. And this comes; these questions now come right out of the study guide from messages uh, from Metatron. I wonder if we can list some of the characteristics of a compassionate person for our listeners. What do you think are so, a few characteristics? So,
1: so I think that to have a compassionate gaze on people or on others, first you have to be aware of your own divinity. You have to see yourself as divine, and you have to also recognize that Everything in creation is
2: divine. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And uh, uh, I think, let me ask if I, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by divine, because I think that's a term that everyone has a different definition for. So I would say to me, divine means having a soul, having a soul and, and being self-aware. So a sentient. A sentient creature is that sort of what you're saying mm-hmm. yeah okay so in order to have compassion you're saying that we have to be self-aware creatures with a soul who have the ability to reach beyond ourselves right is that what you're saying yes okay Right, okay, so we have to be able to reach and think beyond ourselves, think beyond our own needs, right? But it's interesting that you say that because think about this for a second. <laughs> I guess I'll challenge that for a second because if you think about animals and how, uh, how a mother and father animal uh, relate to their youngsters, relate to their offspring, they do have compassion. Don't they? Because I've seen, let's say, um, uh, the other day on Facebook, I was laughing. There was a, a bear, a mama bear, went up the tree, and she was waiting for her little bears to come up the tree, and they kept falling, you know, because they're they're not as strong. And she would, you could see, she'd get frustrated, and she climbed down the tree and grab them by the neck and bring them up. So that's compassion, isn't it? That's having compassion. And so I think that. Even animals that we don't necessarily think about having compassion, very well could have compassion. What do you think, Claudia? Uh, Well, the thing is that
1: I never took them out of the equation. I, I, to me, that's when divine means like everything around me is part of the divine, and animals, to me, they do have the divine in them, which is whatever power or energy that God is, it's part of everything in creation. Like, one of the things that in my own story, Nina, that I came to realization is when I think of God, and God to me is is everywhere, I cannot, I can never, put him outside of something. Like when I say God is everywhere and everything, that means everywhere and everything, not God is everywhere and everything, but not on that wall or not on that insect or not, because then it's not everywhere and everything. Mm-hmm. So that's when, and, and so that's the first thing. So once you, in my opinion, once I realize that God is everything, everywhere, and more, whatever is more, because I my mind cannot grasp that as yet, then everything that happens and exists is part of the loving creation of God. So I can be compassionate of everything that happens and everything that exists because it's God created. Now, just like you did. I can understand that. But then I can be my own a human self and question that. Because sometimes it's like yeah, okay, I my mind can understand that and I but I cannot still grasp the wholeness of that. So probably I'm still on the road to be really compassionate. Because still there are things that I don't understand and that I question and you know that brings me back to something that metatron said in the chapter six he says the human mind has but a few prime directives one of them is think about the creation so I get me wondering okay he says that but he doesn't go into more and more detail in this chapter where there are prime directives so that means that my mind has been designed first to think about how I, was I created. So, and that is true. One of, my, one of my personal thoughts and question is where I come from. And I wonder if, that, if it's a prime directive that means each and every one of all humans ever on earth, has questioned themselves that question. I, so I'm wondering what other prime directives do we have that make us wonder? Maybe the other one would be questioning God or questioning the divine. I don't know. So I don't know if the book says more of the prime directives, but that's something else that I wanted to ask. on the metatron and I don't
2: know if he's mentioned more of that yeah I think he does talk a little bit about those um, subjects uh, later on in the book okay Um, wait for those yeah he does but I think um, you've given a very nice I think basic definition of compassion here and that's (laughs) number one the ability to be self aware and to be other aware We have to be other aware in order to show compassion. And number two, um, able to value all sentient creatures. So that spark of divinity that's in life and to be able to value that. So we place Mm -hmm. a value on that. I think that's a very nice definition of of, uh, some characteristics of the compassionate person. Um, I want to just push on here to talk about the Buddha for one more minute. Um, because we don't want to let that get away from us before we're done today. Because Metatron goes on to tell the Buddha's life story. And if you don't know it, you really should. Because what he, what the Buddha discovered about life is known as the Four Noble Truths. Four Noble Truths. And the Four Noble Truths were developed into a world religion that is going strong. Um, Now, to understand that, we need to understand first the time period that the Buddha lived in. The Buddha lived before Christ, okay? The Buddha came before Christ, and while we don't have time here for the whole story of Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, I hope that if you've never read his life story, that you'll take some time and that you will. It's an important story. But Buddha looked for answers to his questions about the purpose of life in the external world. Okay, that's what what his story is about. He left his home and he turned to spiritual teachers and he practiced their programs of asceticism and renunciation of the material world in a quest for enlightenment. Okay, a quest for that compassion as he traveled throughout India. So he was looking outward to teachers for answers and to various spiritual practices said to bring self-realization. But it wasn't until the Buddha looked inward that he achieved enlightenment. So his is a story about looking in the wrong place, looking in the wrong place, which is what we do isn't it? Well, education and books and wise teachers are important. The path to enlightenment leads directly back to us. That's what the Buddha story says. That's what it teaches. And the Buddha is found in your mirror. So the Buddha's story also shows us that suffering causes us to seek God. Suffering causes us to seek God. And I mean, doesn't it? (laughs) Suffering drives us to our knees, doesn't it? When all of our answers have failed, the Buddhist story tells us that the cessation to suffering happens only when we surrender. It's a very powerful, powerful story. And I wonder um, if, Claudia, if you can think of a time in your life when something happened in your life that was so painful that it led you to a greater understanding of God. Um, And I want you to think about that, and I'm going to tell my story, and then I want you to tell your story. Because for me, what jumped to mind is my daughter's death. Um, In 2013, my 15-year-old took her own life when she secretly went off her antidepressant. And that tragedy drove me to my knees. I mean, literally. When I found her body, the first thing I did was I fell to my knees because I couldn't stand up anymore. It knocked the wind out of me. And I think back to that horrible, terrifying moment, and I can see that it's such a metaphor for what was to come in my life. It knocked me to my knees so forcefully because suddenly uh, the life coach, the counselor, was out of answers. And it silenced me. And if you know me, you know that's saying something. (laughs) So for the next year, I closed my practice and I wrote a book about how my journey through grief uh, happened. And it's entitled Once the Storm is Over. So this tragedy was so far-reaching that it colored my whole world and not only my world but my daughter's death affected many, many people, the people that the kids that she went to school with. Um, it affected her teachers. Of course, it affected my entire family. It's affected everybody that's read the book that I wrote about her story. So suicide has a huge ripple effect. And when this happened, I believed in God, but I would say that I was at that time probably what you'd call an agnostic, which means, you know, I believed in God, but I didn't have a spiritual practice. Uh, I didn't pray very often. And I wasn't meditating. You know, I, I felt like I was cruising along. I was doing fine by myself. And I didn't really need my higher power. Um, but her death triggered a response towards God that was very strong and, in me. and. Since that time, God has stayed on my radar ever since, meaning my spiritual life has become um, the most important thing for me. I I took a a values test recently, and and I was not surprised to find out that spirituality is my number one value. Um, So, Connie, I'm wondering, can you think of a time um, like the Buddha when when you were suffering and and it drove you to your knees and and you had at that point – uh, a greater understanding of God or a greater experience of life?
1: Yeah, I was, as, as you were speaking, I was thinking on my own story. And to me, it had to come in a, a series of events that happened within a short period of time. So first, my mother died. Then my dog, my little girl of 17 years, died right after her. And then my best friend died. So Mm -hmm. when these three things happened, like, each one of them was experienced with a strength that I never thought they would be that bad. I never before understood grief. Like, I would hear people talk about grief, and I would just, well, I would just say, well, that's because you feel sad. Just get over it. I never understood what grief really means and the impact that it can give you in your life and how much it makes you question within most of your truths until that happens and and like you i was always a spiritual person so in in my life spirituality has always been the number one thing but these events make me go in there deeper and then i see that also at the same right after those some years not too long that's when the pandem- pandemic happened where we were all forced to go deeper within quiet and so all of that makes me go within myself in a strength that uh that got me closer to uh, i don't know to what because i also lost a lot of the of, of the beliefs that i had before I had to get rid of them. I just emptied myself and came to a point where I no longer at this moment can tell you with all certainty all that is true to me because I'm still in a a void, in a void where, where many of the things that were true before are no longer there and I'm still waiting to see what is coming up for me
2: thank you for sharing that Um, that sounds like it was a very very difficult painful time um losing so many people like that in a row um you know i hear you talking about what i believe to be restructuring of your beliefs about Mm -hmm. the higher power um you know pain can make us question what we thought we knew (laughs) can't it and and I think that's what you're saying, that you're, you went through a restructuring of your beliefs um, about your higher power. I wonder, do you think that that was a good thing or a bad thing?
1: I, probably I still think it, it was a thing. I cannot label that. Because mm-hmm. some days it, it makes me angry and mm-hmm. some days it makes me peaceful. But it's mm. and all, all within, like all of the feelings that you can have within loving, peace, hate. I I still go through all of those. So I don't know, truly, like, I, I know everything has to have, has a reason, but still I'm in the designing process of finding the, the answers for
2: that i don't know Uh, i don't know yet so you mentioned uh some days you experience anger which i think is very very normal um when it comes to the grief process and by grief i just mean loss and you know grief is a universal experience as human beings we all experience grief because we all Lose pets, we lose people, we lose homes, we lose jobs. Throughout our lives, we're in a process of letting go. <laughs> and in fact, the Buddhist story is also about that process of letting go. Um, but you mentioned some days that that looking back on this, you experienced some anger, and I'm wondering, uh, when you feel anger, is it is it towards God or who? What's the anger about there? Are you um, in tune with that?
1: You know, I yeah, probably it's against the creator, whoever that is. It's angry. I feel angry that I don't have the answers. That I don't know with whole certainty whatever it is it, uh, life purpose, the purpose of death, all of those mysteries in life, I feel angry that I don't know the answer, the certainty, the truth that would that gives that can give me my peace. So so probably that would be that that somehow somehow that peace of mind that I had before all of this is gone. Like now I
2: don't know and that makes me angry. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I think um, there are five stages of grief. You've probably heard that. Um, Most people have heard that there are different stages of grief that we go through. And it's very healthy. We must go through these in order to get to the final stage, which is acceptance. But one of these stages is anger. And so feeling anger from time to time about our losses is actually healthy. It's healthy. That's why I wanted you to talk about it the anger that you feel from time to time. So don't ever feel bad about experiencing that anger because it's one of the stages of grief that gets us to acceptance. Um, The first stage for those who haven't heard this is denial. So denial is simply denying that this actually happened or having a hard time wrapping our minds around the fact that it could have happened or this person could have done this or they're gone. Um, The second stage is anger. Okay, and then we can be angry at God. We can be angry at ourselves. A lot of times we're angry at ourselves when we think we're angry at God. And then the third stage is bargaining, and by bargaining that can look lots of different ways. But um, you know, basically, bargain to get what we want, which is out of pain. Uh, you know, bargaining with God, bargaining with our spouse not to leave—that's bargaining. And then depression comes in. Once we see that the situation is not going to change, that we cannot control it any longer, we can experience depression. And depression is really interesting because unless we go through depression, we can't get to the final stage of release and freedom, which is acceptance, uh, acceptance of reality. So those are the steps. And so it's okay to feel any of those steps. And this is not a linear process. So you don't go from number one to number two to number three, you can jump around. So, you know, I'll find myself um, on certain days feeling depressed that my daughter's gone. And other days, I totally accept it. I totally accept <laughs> I have no problem. She's so on the other side, she's waiting for me, and we're going to have a joyous reunion. And another other days, I just feel irritated that she's not here or angry she's not here because she can't experience this with me. And I say, oh, my gosh, she would love this. And, and, but she's not here. She's not here to experience it. It makes you feel angry. Okay? So we can experience these stages of grief and it's very, very normal. Um, okay, so I think we've covered a ton of ground today. Um, we've touched on most of the subjects that we said that we would touch on. Um, I hope that you will the listeners will go to um, the CV website and get a free copy of this book. I think they're gonna love it. I think it's life-changing i think they're going to enjoy it um and anything else that you want to put in there paulia yes
1: i i want to uh, read if you if i may there's one in chapter six i love this paragraph that metatron wrote well you wrote it but it, it was channel and i can i read that it's, it says next time you look up into the clear night sky Ask for a revelation of God's realness. No church can teach you this to you. God desires a spiritual relationship with you. Stay curious, willing to wait as long as it takes. Perhaps you'll have a mystical experience that is beyond explaining. The only way to know something completely is through direct contact. Just as God demonstrated when He became human, it sounds fantastic and beyond belief, but it is true. Christ was a projection of God, so God could truly appreciate what humans go through. If anyone understands how hard this world is, he does. I just love that. I love that mm-hmm. um, that paragraph and. I would like also for all our listeners, before we say goodbye, I want to thank everyone that is listening, that is replaying, that is sharing our study group. We invite everyone to come back next month for Lesson 7, when we will be discussing the topic of spirit, guides and angels. That will be on Friday, June 17 at 12 noon Eastern time here on TVU. Please join us then everybody. And if you would like to have uh, or to learn more about Nina and her books, visit her blog at ww.ninawin Brian I N G H dot
2: thank you clania and um you're amazing to me you truly are an amazing woman and i just want to say thank you for sharing your story with us today i've published a couple of other angel archangel books in these series so i hope that if you're interested in that you'll check it out on amazon.com and um like uh, claudia said please join us for our next study group on friday june 17th at 12 noon here on seaview and um thank you everybody for being avatars right where you are and blooming where you're planted so so long and thank you as well goodbye